Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What happened to Jameis Winston in the Buccaneers offense as they were across the pond in London losing to Carolina 37-26? The Rays' great season is now over after they lose to Houston in five games in the ALDS. So what's ahead for them? The Lightning, five games into the season, struggling a little bit with their consistency. Should we be worried yet? And just how good is Florida and could they contend for the SEC title this year? All right, Rick Stroud is continuing his extended vacation to Europe. It's quite nice that uh, you you get a company-paid trip to Europe and then you just stay. Uh, but he and the family are over there taking a couple well-deserved days off. So we got the next best thing for you. We got his old partner Tom Jones joining us today, and uh, Tom, lots to talk about. Um, where shall we start, Jameis Winston? I of course we start with Jameis Winston. Holy mackerel! I okay, so okay, so Sunday I get up, and and I knew I was coming on the podcast because we knew Rick was going to spend a little time, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to, so I'm probably going to miss a little bit of the game. So I'll get caught up later. And by the time I get back from church, I don't have to know. Like, basically, all I had to do was watch any of Jameis, half of Jameis's games over the last five years to understand what happened. This is remarkable. Like, I'm still, I still can't get over um, what we're seeing out of this guy. And I, you know what? And I, and I know that it's easy to jump on him these days. And I know it's, People are wondering to see the future of this. You know, I fully expect him in the next couple of weeks to be really good because this is what he does. He'll be bad, then he gets really good, and then he's bad again. I mean, you watch this game, Steve. I mean, how, what do you? If you're the Bucks, if you're if you're Bruce Arians at this point, are you going? Oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Here's what worries me about Jameis, and it has for a while. And you hoped it would get better with time and experience. He's got all the tools. It, sure. That's never been a question. His decision-making process isn't quick enough. And, and whether it's whether it's to throw or not throw the ball, or take the sack, or you know, or to go to the next the, the next option or the third option on a play, he just doesn't seem to go through the progressions in the mental part of the game quick enough. And you know, when you're young, you kind of go, okay, the, the, this game is so much faster than anything you faced in high school and college, of course. And and that's that's part of what. You know, the Tom Brady's and the Drew Breeses of the world bring, you know, when they've played in the league 15 years, is they've seen everything and the game is, is a lot slower to them. It doesn't seem like the game is slowing down for Jameis as a whole. I mean, he'll have right. games where it does. But right. when you look at the whole body of work over a season or half a season or a group of games, it just doesn't seem like it's slowing down as much as it should for him as it does for other quarterbacks. Which sort of discounts this theory that, well, this is just Jameis trying to be Superman, that he doesn't know when to give up on a play, that he's trying to be the hero out there. This would suggest, and I, and I agree with you on this, Steve, that this would suggest that it's not about him trying to keep plays alive. It's not about him trying to be a Superman. It's not about him trying to be the hero and never knowing when to give up on a play, although I think there is some of that. I, I agree with you. I think it's something about him not uh, processing the game 
quickly enough and running into trouble. And like for an example, the other day, yeah, I mean, you're going to have interceptions that go off a guy's hands and not every interception's his fault. Mm -hmm. And I realized that when you get late, like, like the last couple of interceptions, you're, you're, you're trying to get back in the game and you almost don't even count those, even though at the end of the day, the number looks bad, but take, for example, that interception that, that, uh, Keekly uh, intercepted over in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's just a horrible throw. It has nothing to do with trying to keep plays alive. It had nothing to do with pressure on a quarterback. That was a failure to read what was going on. And I'm not saying that you know, every quarterback has those issues. Occasionally, sometimes you get fooled by a defense. Mm-hmm. But it's happened so often. And this is what we're going to continue seeing, Steve. I'm convinced of it, that he knows now, okay, I can't be that guy. You watch. I'm telling you, next week he'll be fine. Next week and maybe even a week after, he'll be fine. He'll do these two games where he doesn't turn the ball over and the Bucks may win one or two of them and everything will be look great against, okay, he finally gets it. And then he falls back into the pattern of, nope, here we go again. And I don't think that's necessarily, well, because now all of a sudden he's gotten, he's sort of got his mojo back or, he's, or he feels brave again. I think it's because he'll run into a team that fools him, that tricks him, and he throws these interceptions again. Yeah, it's, it's and, and although, and I will say, and I can't remember who has made the tweets, and they've done it a couple times this season. And they talked about when Bruce Arians got to Arizona and Carson Palmer, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback, even right. though some people don't want to admit that because of his record. But wow, Hall of Fame, do you think? Look at look at his stats and look at look at the awful teams that he made respectable. He was he was and, he was, know, he played on some awful how, Cincinnati. Look teams at look that, at how Cincinnati, Arizona, Oakland. Look how they were before and after he was there. That's true. And, and look at what he did to elevate those franchises. Now, did he get into Super Bowls? No. You know, as a rule, or, you know, consistently top of the tier in the league? No. But look at his stats and look at what he did for those teams. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Okay. I, you know, I think there's no question I, I may go it. with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to look at the numbers a little bit closer, yeah. Uh, you know, but, and, and they said, if you look at his first season under Bruce Arians in Arizona, look at the first half of the season and the second half of the season. And it took a half a season for Carson Palmer to figure it out. So that's your your hope that maybe some of this is he's still figuring out that offense and still either playing Superman and, and trying to make every throw and not want to throw it away, not waste a play, or whether it's just because it's a new system, new this, that it just hasn't slowed down in his head yet for enough. And so he's making some of these mistakes. Maybe that's part of it. And your hope right. is that. And your hope, look, the Bucks are on a bye week now. And maybe it couldn't happen at a better time for them, even though you don't really like that bad taste in your mouth going into a sure. buy. But having that week off, having Jameis to either get some time away or have some additional time to work on some things, whatever he chooses to do, and hopefully it's probably a combination of both, that, that, that I, he can start to maybe turn the corner in this new offense. And, and right. you know, we forget that, you know, this is what, his third head coach now? Granted, yes. Dirk Cutter was his offense coordinator. Third coach in fifth year, in his fifth year, that's not good either. And so there's right. a lot of things going into this. And look, I get it. There are mitigating circumstances. When you look at the first couple of years, he's new to the league. He's, he, you know, he's a rookie or second year guy on an awful football team. So I, he's not going to be good the first year or two. And then as we've moved on, even this year, you look at this team, the offensive line's horrible. And, and the, sure, that absolutely makes a difference, you know? I think that but, was a huge deal on Sunday is the offensive line yeah. against the Rams played really well. And all of a sudden, did. now they don't have their their whole right side of the line is missing now with the injuries, right. with Demar and I, and Dotson and that, Alex Alex Kappa out. That that plays a big role in this. I mean, absolutely. In the NFL, the offensive line and defensive line is everything. I mean, I've always said, if I got a football team, I'm paying three position groups: quarterback, offensive line, and defensive line. Mm-hmm. And the rest mm-hmm. I'll figure out as I go along. 
You know, if you get a special I, yeah, player every once in a while, absolutely. linebacker or receiver or something, maybe. But the money's going to those position groups, and then I'll figure the rest out from there. And that's one of the things I think J- Jason Light hasn't done very well with this team. No, but. not very well, particularly on the offensive line. He has hardly addressed it at all since he's been there in terms of the draft. Now, and the defensive I've line, said, too, he hasn't really addressed through the draft. Now, no, he's, he's got tried some free a little bit lately. And, yeah, yeah, he's gotten some free agent pickups with Carl Nassib and J- Jason Pierre-Paul and Adamic and Sue and that. But through right. the draft... The offensive defensive lines have been neglected for the most part under Jason. Right. V- they, they drafted Vita Vea a year yes. ago, but yes. other than that, you're uh, now. Here's the thing, and I and I've said this here on Rick and I have talked about this all the time that the, the closer you line up to the football, the more important you are to your team. I mm-hmm. truly believe that, mm-hmm. and, which is why I value offensive and defensive linemen more than I value safeties and running backs. Um, and and I also understand like this team doesn't run the ball particularly well, and. Uh, and you mentioned the offensive, the, the right side of the line's beat up. And another thing is the defense. This has been a bad defense over most of the time that, that Jameis has been here. And I do believe there's something to the to the fact that he has to go out there every game feeling like mm-hmm. we got to score on this drive. i got to make a play because if we fall behind 7 nothing, pretty soon it's going to be 14 nothing. If we don't score on this drive, we're done. And so I, I get all of that. It's not him and him alone. Mm-hmm. But these same mistakes and, and – and, you know, the funny thing is I look over at, you know, the other guy that, that we always debate, you know, should it have been Jameis or should it have been Marcus Mariota? I'm not sold on that guy either. And well, he just got benched. Something? He did. And isn't it something that we could come into next season um, with neither guy returning to the team that drafted him? That's what – look, Steve, that's what these next, whatever, like nine games left or whatever it is they got left, um, their 11, 10 games, mm-hmm. they, they need to figure out who they who they have in Jameis Winston, and I'm not sure you're going to find out. I really truly believe this pattern is going to repeat itself over and over and over again. Good games followed by bad games followed by two good games followed by a bad game, and I don't think you're ever going to get a beat on. And I I said differently a couple of weeks ago with Rick on this podcast. I said I think with Bruce Arians you're going to find out whether he's the guy or not. I don't know that we're going to find out more than what we already know. Well, I just but, don't think but, it's going to change. But if it continues like this, aren't didn't you already figure it out then? Yes. Bruce Arians came here, and if it it continues to be the same, then you figure out he's not the guy. It's so maddening, though, because you look at him and you do see these games. Like, we did see the game against the Rams where you you feel like – um, you, you, you know, this, he could be a special quarterback. I mean, he has those moments, like more moments than I see out of like, say Marcus Mariota. I haven't seen a bunch of those moments out of Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. I have seen him out of Jameis where you feel like there, he plays just well enough sometimes where you think like, yeah, I think this is the guy, but then he shows up with six turnovers. Are you kidding me? I don't care. I don't care how many balls bounce off of people's hands and this and that. It happens to everybody in the league and not everybody turns the ball over six times every week. It's, it's just amazing what we've seen. And, and it's, it's surprising. And yet it's, it is surprising every time I see it happen. Well, and the other hard part of this is look, he's been in the league five years. He's still 25 years old. Yes. And when you look Two at years at FSU, you, you, you look yeah. at the quarterbacks we talk about in, in, in the pros that you consistently talk about over and over again, 25 is young. It is. You know, he hasn't reached his full potential yet, or you don't think he has. But what really is that potential if, after five years, he gets better every year, but not he's not taking the steps that you, you see other young quarterbacks take from, you know, year one right. to two or two to three, et, et cetera, et cetera. Is that he and Mariota aren't taking big steps every season. Right. And, and that's, now, that's other, what's concerning about it. It is concerning because you do see guys like Deshaun Watson and, and Pat Mahomes, and, and I get it. Those guys are – 
are special look to be special quarterbacks. I don't know that James mm-hmm. is in at that level. At the same time, you know, you look around the league, and I don't think there are that many great quarterbacks in the NFL. No, like, like really great quarterbacks. Like, I mean, once you get past Brady and Rodgers and Mahomes, I mean, all of a sudden now we're having questions about uh, about Dak Prescott. And all of a sudden, we're having questions about Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we're having questions about, well, we've always had questions about Kirk Cousins. Yeah, well. But, you know, people, but I mean, like really outside of the Bradys and the Rodgers and, and a few others, I don't, and, that, and that's the part that concerns you if you're the Bucks. Okay, if it's not, if not Jameis, then who? It's not like these guys are well, and a dime a dozen. Look, that's the Andy Dalton scenario. Is yeah, the right. Bengals have Andy Dalton, and he's serviceable enough to get you through a regular season, get you some playoff games. But he's not he's not a game changing quarterback. He's not a quarterback that's gonna lead you to the Super Bowl. He's just not. He's a good guy, decent quarterback, but he's not but what's your alternative? I mean, right. you know, if you're the Bucks, what's your alternative? Ryan Griffin? I mean, you're gonna really yeah, turn the knows? you know, you're gonna turn right. the keys over even if it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's never taken the team to the playoffs, who you had the you know, and he'll have a couple good games and then and then not, not. Well, that's why games. you have a team like the Vikings paying a bazillion dollars to Kirk Cousins because it's mm-hmm. the closest thing they can find, and they're set otherwise. And you look at Kirk Cousins, and there's some weeks where you go, eh, maybe, and then there's other weeks where you're like, no, there's you know, like real literally it was three weeks ago where people are saying what a disaster mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is, and now here we are two weeks later, and oh, okay, maybe they have a chance for Kirk Cousins. But that's the other part of this scenario with Jameis is that you almost want to believe it can work because there there aren't. You start to wonder about like what are the alternatives? I mean, even you look at at teams that are trying to turn the page, like they're like the Redskins are trying to turn the page, but all of a sudden Haskins gets in there and he looks like a train wreck. You know, mm-hmm. um, we're, we don't know about maybe Sam Donald can work with the Jets, maybe not. Who knows? It's such a risk, and you're you're admitting like we're starting over, and it's so it's got to be frustrating for the Bucks because there are some pieces in place, particularly on offense, particularly at wide receiver. You have two. I think pretty good receivers, an elite receiver in Mike Evans, and a pretty good one in Chris Godwin. And you got and two good tight ends, and two good tight ends, and OJ Howard and Cam, and Cam Braid, absolutely. And if you can shore up that offensive line a little bit, and and you can run the ball just a little bit, and, and Ronald Jones is showing some promise now. Yeah, I absolutely. mean he's he's but, made a lot more improvements from year one to two than I expected. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but ultimately, you get to this point where you say you have to commit one way or the other, mm-hmm. and 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 because the alter- the alternatives aren't great, and because he shows you just enough, there's this constant. You want to make it work with Jameis. You keep looking for ways to make it work with Jameis, and just when you're about ready to go all in on him, he he throws five interceptions and fumbles the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how much how much of this is on Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich too? It, you know. Oh, I don't know. I mean. It's funny, like I, I watch because we we thought Bruce Arians would be the the I don't want to say fix because I you know like I said I think no, James was. Been I a, think he he's was been a good quarterback but he was supposed to take Jameis to the next level. Now it's been six games, right. and so maybe maybe it's too early to make those judgments yet. But yeah, I mean you look around the league and and it's easy. Like I, I'll, I'll use a, a comparison. Like I'll look at Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, and I don't know that Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. I, I, I think the jury obviously still way out mm-hmm. on him, but I don't think he's getting any help from his head coach. I don't think Freddie Kitchens and, the, and that offensive line's horrible. That was a bad. So I don't. Hire. Freddie Kitchens it, was not ready for that role. It doesn't seem like, and that that team doesn't seem like they're ready. They're ready for what we thought they were ready for. We thought, and then you look, mm-hmm. they still may be fine because that division's not a very good division, but. And the Steelers are beat up, and the Bengals are awful, and and I'm not 
you know, Baltimore's, you, you never know week to week what you're going to get from Baltimore. But I look at Freddie, Freddie Kitchens is doing Baker Mayfield no favors. I don't, I wouldn't say that yet about Byron Leftwich and about mm-hmm. Bruce, Bruce Arians. I think, I mean, we've seen, again, we've seen enough flashes. And there were some moments in Sunday's game where, you know, if Mike Evans catches that long pass, uh, a couple other little things go right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, they were in that game. I mean, for it's amazing for seven turnovers that they weren't completely destroyed. I mean, you turn the ball over seven times, you should lose that game by 30 points. And they were actually – I don't know that they, you ever got the feeling they were going to win that game in the fourth quarter, but they weren't totally out of it. Um, no, but a pick so six I, away or something, and you know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah you know. or get a turnover, yeah, another turnover on a special fluky fumble or something, or, something, or yeah, a punt yeah, yeah. return. You know, you never know, and all of a sudden it, it is close, right? And I, I like I I you're you're right. It's only six games, so we're gonna have to wait to see what Bruce Arians has in store. And and you would like to see him with a with a decent offensive line. It all starts up there, but again, I just keep going back to this idea of that. Um, that this is who this is who he's been for four year five years in whatever how many games, um, and it's and I think it's always it's always who he is going to be. He's well, going to be two games on, one game off, two games on, one game off. And I think the other part of this is, and you know, I know Rick and I have talked about it a lot that Bruce Arians was supposed to help determine whether Jameis was the right guy, but also how good these players on this team were. That this is the best coach that any of these players have had. And I just I still don't think there's enough talent on this roster. Jason Lights had six seasons, and I don't think there's enough talent to compete in the National Football League consistently. I I agree with they that one hundred percent. But yeah. the the defense is, I mean, you know, name your pieces there, okay? Right. You think Devin White is, and and rookies I don't make judgments on. You know, right. you, you got to figure that out. Levante David nearing the end of his career, but he's you know you've signed in Dominican Sue, uh, Shaquille mm-hmm. Barrett's been a tremendous signing. Sure. The, the back end of the secondary, though, who are your pieces? And maybe some of them will develop, and they're very young back there. Right. But what pieces do you have back there? Oh, what are the pieces the you thing. have at linebacker? How many pieces do you have at defense? I mean, Nassib's been a nice find. Right. But, you know, what pieces do you have? And the offensive line, you know, Marpet's pretty good. Jensen, I think they overpaid for, but that's what you do right. in free agency is you overpay for people. I think he's been okay, but – right. Probably same not. thing, and Donovan Smith's been okay. He's not Don, been Donovan special. Smith you paid because he was the best tackle at going to be a free agent that year, so you had to pay to keep him. And that's he, right, and those and that's another like left tackles are like quarterbacks. They're they're really mm-hmm. hard to find. Mm-hmm. You better you almost always have to draft them rather than find them on the open market somewhere. Yeah, and and you end up yeah you're right you end up overpaying or or putting all your stock into one guy because he's better than your options. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Donovan Smith is. But, you're right. I this this this. This roster isn't full of talent. Uh, I think there are a lot of holes in it. And there's definitely and not much depth. No, no, not at all. And and that's where the draft comes in. I mean, you have Absolutely. to be you have to be hitting. You got to be hitting some of those lower draft picks every year in the draft. I mean, you're not going to hit them all, but you got to hit more of more often than you don't for at least depth on your team. You know, they don't right. all have to be starters, but depth. And and that's where I I just you know, and it all goes to me back to the offensive and defensive line. Well, exactly right. And you look at some – they had to draft a quarterback. I get that when they drafted Jameis. You know, Mike Evans is a, is a special player. Mm-hmm. But when you're, drafting a, when you're drafting a wide receiver with that pick, 
that means you're not drafting an offensive lineman with that pick. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and I'm not again. I'm not saying they should have drafted somebody other than Mike Evans. Now, Mike Evans is a special player, and you, and you, if you can get a special player, then mm-hmm. you, you obviously take him. But this is what we're talking about. They drafted a linebacker first round last year. You know, it's. I agree with you. I, I I've always said that it's so hard to find offensive, really impactful offensive and defensive linemen. Those guys don't get the free agency because when they become free mm-hmm. agents, their teams sign them because they know how hard they are to get. And yeah, I think you absolutely have to look at Jason Light and his inability to really fix, particularly the offensive line. If you don't have a, if you have no chance in the NFL, I've, you know, I, I, I will follow the Steelers a little bit more than I follow other teams. And I can tell you, you want to go back and find years when the Steelers were really good. It's when their offensive line's been good and healthy. You want to find years where the Steelers struggled. It's because their offensive line got beat up and they had no depth. And, I think you can look around the entire NFL. The Dallas Cowboys were awful for years, and they rebuilt that team through their offensive line. Now and they drafted almost every single one of those guys. Exactly. And that's how, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles, the year they won the Super mm-hmm. Bowl, we can look and say, oh, they had Carson Wentz, and they had Nick Foles come in, and they had a really good. Look, their offensive line was a really good offensive line that year. You know, so that if you don't fix the offensive mm-hmm. line, you got no chance. And look at, look at the years Brady loses the Super Bowl. It's the defensive line that gets to him, particularly right. the two Giants years. Yeah, you know, that's right. And, and Sunday, I mean, Jameis Winston was hit almost every time he dropped back, it seemed like. And that wears on the quarterback. And, and Arians even talked about that. Look, you know, we get our guy hit too much. And then now you're thinking the rush. You're looking at your feet. You're not looking downfield. You're not going through your progressions. You know, that offense and defensive line is so important in football. Absolutely. And and now it's in Jameis's head. I, you looked at him coming off the field the other day, and you know that he – look, he's smart enough to know what the narrative is about him. Mm-hmm. He's smart enough to know that people are saying, here we go again with Jameis. And I think he takes it really hard. I Everybody wants to be great. I think he really, really wants to be great. And I think he knows when he's what, – what people are saying about him. You know, it's funny. It was like I was watching – not to switch gears here, but I, when I was watching Clayton Kershaw after – the National League Division Series when he mm-hmm. you know he can he comes into the game he gives up two homers that basically cost the Dodgers a chance to move on to the next round and he said everything that people are saying about me in the postseason you're absolutely right like I cannot argue with you everything you say is true and I think Jameis thinks the same way I th- and I think it eats him up that as he was walking off the field I look I'm not a mind reader but it looked like he was he knows what people are going to say about him that this this is here we go again with Jameis. This is your fault. You can't stop turning the ball over. And and I think it eats him alive, you know. And I think it wears on him and I think it wears on him to the point that it affects his play. Well, we know what what a gym rat and film rat and everything he else is. I mean, you you know he knows those narratives and and you know, it's not for lack of trying or effort. We, no, we no, he's not lazy. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's not like he's not care or doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it do- it does wear on him. And it that's you See, know. that's the that's the scary part though, Steve. I think if you, if it were a situation where like, look, just, you know, you need to study a little more film or you need to work a little bit harder or show up a little bit earlier. Like he shows up earlier. He shows up, he stays late. That's the thing that's concerning. It's like, how do you fix it? When he, it's not like he's, he's not aware of the problem. He, every, every time he does this, he says, I got to be better. I can't turn the ball over. I can't throw the ball to the other team. Yeah, we know, you know, and yet it keeps on happening. That's the thing that would just frustrate me. I'm sure it frustrated Dirk. And I'm sure it's gonna. It, it's now starting to frustrate Bruce Arians. Is that that it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of preparation. It's not for uh, you know a lack of of anything. It's other than he just 
can't help himself. He just keeps making the same mistakes over. And that, to me, that's scary because he doesn't know how to fix it at this point. That is pretty scary. But to, we'll move on to a team that's not very scary. Well, it was very scary to the opposition, including the Houston Astros, as they had to go to five games to advance in the ALDS. So, Tom Jones, on this podcast many times, you said the Rays were a 500 team. How about that 96 and 66 season? Well, they went two and three in the playoffs. So three and three. I, three no, and three, three and three, three, three in the playoffs. They, they yeah, the playoffs. That's, right. Yeah. Got the, that's right. So they're in the 500 team in the playoffs. <laughs> I Look, I totally swung at best. I... You know what I didn't think was going to work? I didn't, and it wasn't I didn't think the opener was going to work, but I thought their, I didn't think their bullpen was good enough. I it wasn't that. It well, wasn't. I didn't think it. Yeah, and that's that. I thought that was going to be the downfall. I thought when I looked at this team, you know, they got off to the quick start, and then they start hitting a patch. Well, I guess it was probably in May, maybe a little bit later than that, mm-hmm. where they were starting to, they were they were starting to lose more than they they yeah, won June through, June through, especially, but yes, yeah. And I looked at that team, and I'm like, I just don't, I don't, especially at that point when Glasnow was down, and excuse me, and Snell wasn't being himself. And he and was in and out. Be, yeah, even, he was in even, and out. Yeah, even before he before he went on the on the IL, uh, he wasn't pitching well, or not pitching like he was last year. And I just looked at him like, I don't think this team pitches well enough. And they're not going to bash you. They're not going to win games 11-9. They don't have that kind of offense. And so I looked at this team, and I thought, this strikes me as a 500 team. And they just they they started pitching well, you know. Here's the thing, too, Steve, and I and I get it. The New York Yankees had a had a uh, a bazillion injuries, and um, and I know that that Melvin did a really nice job. And how was how can it, and he, and Rocco Baldelli did a great job in Minnesota. I got it. I get it. To me, to how me, how is it, Kevin Cash not manager of the year? I, and I know he's, everybody keeps saying he's not going to win it. Well, why not? I don't understand how he's not going to win it. To and me, this is even before the playoffs. To me, Baldelli or Cash are the managers of the year. Absolutely, and, and those are the teams that didn't make the playoffs the year before. And right. the Yankees can talk about all their injuries and they lost stars for a long period of time. But if you look at the war metrics for games lost, the Rays kill the Yankees. They were hurt much more by the injuries than than the Yankees were when you look at it. Now, I could make a case that for GM of the year, you could put the Yankees cashman there yeah. with, you know, signing like LeMayhew and, and all those guys like that. I could make a case for that. But, you know, the Yankees won 100 games a year before. Right. And, and granted, you know, the Yan- the Rays only increased their win total by six. But when you look at the injuries and everything else compared to the Yankees and what they have, I mean, I, I, look, I think Boone did a good job in New York. But to me, it's Baldelli or Cash or your two managers of the year in the AL. And see, when I look at I look at the job that Kevin Cash did, I look I look at that. Let's let's take the pitching out of it for a second. Let's just look at that lineup. And I'm like, who was their who was their best player? And Austin Meadows, maybe, but yeah. there was a long stretch of the year where he was not very good, where he sort of went through that 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 slump that every rookie, mm-hmm. or, you know, really first time around the league guy gets yep. after he goes around the league one time. And then Travis Darneau, you picked him up off the streets. Um, Kevin Kiermaier really didn't have a great offensive no. year. You he, got, had, he had some home runs, but he wasn't. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. Tommy and Pham he, had a decent season overall. Tommy Pham, Tommy Pham had a decent season overall, and then and then Troy. You, Troy was awful the first half of the year. He picked right, it up in the exactly. second half. Second base, you end up having injuries there. Yeah. Abasel so Garcia was pretty consistent throughout the year. Pretty consistent, pretty good. But you lost, you know, you lost Diaz, Diaz, you know, and Duffy basically mm-hmm. split the year between being injured and healthy. Yep. Um, you, you know, and Zanino didn't turn out to be Ooh. the catcher you thought he was going to be. No. 
At least, at least not offensively. You knew he wasn't good offensively, but it was even worse than we thought. Yep. Because he didn't run into very many pitches yeah. either. But you can make a case Willie Adamas. By the end of the yeah, year, oh yeah, he Although, struggled early. The end he struggled year, early, right. but struggled early. and was better on the road than home. And then all of a sudden, later in the year, figured it out. But my point would be that even despite all the hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Injuries, whether it was, you know, Stanton or I, Judge was out for a while. Um, you know, they, they lost pretty much everybody at one time or another too. But when I looked at Yankee Yankees, on any given night, the Yankees' best player, was better than the Rays' best player, you know. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, whether it was Gregorius well, some nights or, or Tom, they're uh, savages. They're, that's right. They are savages. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, I'm, when I look at that lineup night in and night out, like their best players were better than the Rays' best players, and somehow the Rays managed to patch it together to win ninety six games, which is just absolutely remarkable well, and, and to do it without Blake Snell and without Tyler Glass now pretty much from May on. You, you brought know, up the bullpen on. and just think about it. So the way your bullpen, your A bullpen down the stretch or at the end was Pagan closing who didn't make the opening day roster. Right. Nick Anderson you traded for, so obviously you're right. not going to think. But who had Oliver Drake, Colin Poche, uh Chaz Rowe who was awful the first half of the season and and finally figured something out in the second half. Right. I mean they completely revamped their bullpen throughout the season to hold right, that because to the hold guy that they thought together. was going to be yeah. the closer turned out to yeah. have a horrible season yeah, and, and injuries and all that. Yeah, and Castillo went, you know, had struggles throughout the middle of the season. He figured it out again finally at the end. But that bullpen was, I mean, it was nothing like you expected it to be no. from the beginning of the year. And, and they were lights out at the beginning. I mean, Castillo and Alvarado to start the season were lights out. They were, and that's they why were unhittable. I'm, I look at this and I look at the moves he made and how he handled that bullpen. And I realize it's, there's a lot of analytics involved. I get all that. But I look at how he handled this team. And this, I guess the thing that surprises me is just how quickly he's dismissed as, yeah, oh, he had a great, he's not going to win it, but he had a really good year. I'm like, really? He's not going to win it? Other than Rocco Baldelli, I don't know who else would even really be in a conversation ahead of Kevin Cash. It's because I think he did a job that mm-hmm. was that good. And I look at, at how this season went. I, I saw where. Mark Topkin, and you, I'm sure you'll talk. You have Mark coming up on. He'll the be podcast. on tomorrow. Yeah, he'll be on the podcast tomorrow. And he was asked by Andy Freed, "Where would you rate this race season in terms of all time?" And I think Mark said he would have it second overall. As I think the, the, one, the one that goes to the World Series has to be the best one, right? Until you top that, or you get another team that makes it to the World Series. But I agree with Mark 100 percent that I watched this team, and you know, I, it was fun for me to step back this year and not being a sports writer anymore. Um, I, I'm able to, to to look at it a little bit differently and watch it. My 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 kids were big Rays fans. We actually went to a playoff game and sat in the stands, um, and to see how much they enjoyed it. And and I I think I was able to appreciate just how fun this team was. And um, it's if they, if they had gotten knocked out by Oakland, I think would have been it would have felt really disappointing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they went to Houston took that team to five games. And I almost think it would – I mean, if they had beaten Houston, that would have been great. 
But then if they had beaten Houston and gotten like wiped out by the Yankees, like in four, I don't know that it would have felt as good as the way that like, I think the season went about as well as it could go. And, and they've been knocked out in five games before. And in 2011, they, uh, you know, it's game 162. I actually watched a special on that the other night, which was really fun to watch. You know, they lose the Rangers. They, they lost the Rangers in four games. They were never really in that series. I think the year before, they lost the Rangers in five. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And Cliff, I think Cliff Lee totally dominated them that, that postseason. Uh, and then 2013, I, I, I remember covering the – that was the fun year where they, you know, they win a game in Toronto, right, and then they went down to Texas, won that game, and then – won a game against the wildcard game against the Indians. But yep. then the Red Sox series, they were yeah, they they were down two oh quickly and then won game three on a walk off and then lost that series in four. This is I don't know that I've ever that you look at this team, even the World Series year, which really ended disappointing. That Philly losing to the Phillies. They they went out with a whimper. And remember what was it game five took like mm-hmm. fourteen days to play or whatever. I mean it took forever because of rain. It seriously like took like three days, right? Yes. Something like that. Um this is almost like the best it's felt at the end of a season. Well, I, I think the way it was, too, that, look, you, you went down 2-0 to Houston, but you went up against you know Verlander and Cole. Right. And they're going to be 1-2 and two in the, wild, or the uh, Cy Young this year. Pick, take your pick which one wins it. So you go against them. Everyone's written you off because it's a, just a coronation. It's the Astros-Yankees in the, in, the, in the ALCS. Done deal. And the Rays come out and whip on the Rays or the Astros in, in game three right. and then to get the lead in game four and hold on. And it's a party at Tropicana field. And you were, you were at one of the games there and I worked both of them. I mean, how cool was the Trop- Tropicana field for those two games? You know what? The only thing that came close. And I think, I think this game, I went to game four and, and it surpassed everything that I've ever seen at the Trop. The only thing that came close, I was there the day in the stands again when they clinched a playoff spot in 2008, the first time they ever clinched a playoff spot. Okay. I was at that mm-hmm. game, and that was a pretty pretty amazing. And I know I wasn't at the stadium. I wasn't at the Trop when they beat the Philly or when they beat the Red Sox to go to the World Series in 2008. Other than that, though, I can't imagine there was another game at the Trop that was exciting as that game four was on uh, last week. You know, and, and one of the things that I think it was Richard Justice of MLB.com that put out an article that t- talked about, and what was really cool is that the Astros had the two best pitchers in the in the matchup. The Rays had the next seven best. Yeah. I mean, it was like, right. you know, they, they've got Verlander and Cole, and the Rays got three through nine as far as the best pitchers in this series. And that the arms that they have and how the, that's how they compete with everyone. I mean, as right. much as the analytics and shifts and all this, but it's really – the amount of arms they've put together and the spin rates and, you know, everything they have in those advanced analytics that they've figured out with Colin Poche and Oliver Drake, who no one ever thought could be a bullpen guys, right. that they've made them that, that allows them to compete with teams like the Astros. And they gave the Astros everything they could handle in that series. Absolutely. When, when no and, one and, expected it. And you mentioned the two home games. That's funny. I, I just went back and I was looking up the last time they, they had a five-game series, which when they lost um, to Texas – in the 2010 mm-hmm. ALDS. And what was funny about that series, they actually had home field in that series. Yes. And they they lost game one, five to one. I'm looking at the numbers here. Okay. And they were, so that game was four, nothing at the end of the fourth. That game was over because Cliff Lee was absolutely dominant. They lose game two, six to nothing. So the first two games at yep. the Trop, they lose by a combined score, 11 to one. Mm-hmm. And then they went on the road to Texas to win That's games right. three and four, then came back home and got beat five to one. Yeah, the road team won every game <laughs> like, in that series. Right, and Cliff Lee, and in three games, they scored two runs at home. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and Rod, and Rod scored by like whatever, 16 to 2 or whatever. And so there wasn't a party at the Trop. There wasn't that, you know. And I think the other thing, too, is that at the end of this season, as we're watching this, as we're watching even game five, as, as they're going, as they're going down and, you, and you're seeing Tyler Glass now get knocked around, there is this sense of this is the beginning of something. This is not the end. You know, who knows what you know, year to year what injuries happen and, and there's going to be changes. It's, you know, no team comes back. It's the same each year. Who knows? Travis Darno may not be back. Who knows, you know. Well, the good the thing for the Rays, and we're going to get into this more with Mark tomorrow, but everyone's under team control but three guys. Right. The, your free agents are Darno, Sogard, and Garcia. Everybody else they have under team control. Now, I think there's going to be – they have some young guys they got to put on the 40-man roster or they're going to risk losing them to the Rule 5 draft. So there's going to be some changes, and the Rays always make changes. So there's going to be some trades. There's going to be some guys probably DFA'd that may surprise you. Mm-hmm. But the turnover is going to be what the Rays want the turnover to be for the most part. Right. And, you know, and may, you're, Maybe and they you're, want to sign Darno when he goes elsewhere or Garcia, et cetera. But right. outside of those three, they have to, they make the decisions, and it's going to be what, what they think is best for the organization, not we lost this guy to free agency, we lost this guy to free agency, you know, this guy just wants more money and we lose them. Everyone else, they're, you know, they have decisions to make and they're going to make more changes than we probably think they are because right. that's what they do. But they're in but a I good mean, position. Just, and just think how nice it'll be to have a full season. Let's say Charlie Morton is even close to what he was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have a full season of let's let's assume that Tyler Glasnow is healthy for the whole year. Let's assume Blake Snell is healthy mm-hmm. for the whole year. Because even when those guys started – in this last ALDS, you knew they weren't capable of going seven innings. They right. weren't capable of giving you the type of performances that Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole was mm-hmm. going to give you. Maybe next year they will be. Maybe yep. next year they could they can go six or seven or eight innings. I think it's and that's what's exciting about this team. So I, I am not predicting five hundred for next season. Well, and, and let's let's look at Austin Meadows will be in the second full season. Willie right. Adamas in his second full season. I mean, how many of these young guys? We forget how young Willie Adamas is. Because we've he heard about him for so long because of, you know, he was traded for David Price in, what was it, 13 or 14, whatever. I think yep. it was 14. He's, you know, he's been that prospect for so long. He still, it was his first full season in the big leagues. And look how much he matured during the season. I was going to say, I mean, you saw, you went to most every home game this year. That He was a different player. I would say even he was a different player on the last, you know, this past series here, this five-game series, mm-hmm. than he was in mid-August. You know, or late on, like, he was a better, he was a good player the second half of the year, but to see him grow the way, I've always had a theory about major league players, they, they sort of fall into three categories. One, they, when they first come up, they're just in awe. They're just trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. get from the clubhouse to the field without getting lost. And then they sort of settle into where they just take care of themselves. Like, okay, I know I, know I can play here, but I'm just trying to, trying to, to, to take care of myself. And then they, the, the third level is when they start becoming leaders and they start, they, they become impactful players. And I think, we, I think Willie Adamas became that, went from that second to third stage in the last month and a half to two months of the season. He's, he was a different player at the end. He was. And, and he started, you know, the, the, it started with the defense that got better. You know, early in the season, he'd make spectacular plays and he'd make errors on the routine plays. And right. he, he worked at it. And if you talk to his, you know, hear from his teammates, you know, he, he, he was working at it every day this year. And, and we forget it's his first full season in the big leagues. And he had some ups and downs with it. Sure. But once he figured it out, the, the defense got better, and then I think the offense came along with it, which is generally and, what happens with players. 
And I'm telling you, like, it's something as simple as, as that one inning in, the, in game four where he throws out the guy at the plate on the relay with Kevin Kiermaier and then comes up and hits a ball off the ring in center field. I'm telling you, that, I, I think that can change a player. Like, that inning changed him moving forward. I really believe well, and, that. And we talked about the narrative of, of Jameis Winston, and everyone knows what that narrative is, including Jameis. Willie was starting to get a little of that narrative early in the season. It was mm-hmm. mostly for his defense in that. that. Those kind of plays and those kind of moments completely change that narrative for a player, too, which can only add to the confidence of them. That, and that was really fun. To, well, I agree. And that was really fun to watch that sort of what, what people were saying about the Rays, how they played the game the right way. And Kevin Cash is getting credit for pulling all the right uh, moves when it comes to pitchers. And, and, then, and then that play, that from Kiermaier to Adamas to Darno. It was that's to, the whole country got to see that's raised baseball. That's how you play fundamental, fundamentally good baseball. It was it was it was actually if you're a Rays fan, it was a very proud moment. Now, yep. just build a stadium somewhere. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. But to a, a team that uh, has had great regular season success last year, not much postseason, and they're off to a shaky start this year. The Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, two two and one so far in the first five games of the season. I would say inconsistent is the best way to describe their play so far. I mean, they've had moments where they look tremendous. Braden Point's first game, and, and having him back is definitely a different difference maker. Um, but they've been inconsistent, particularly when McElhaney's been behind them. Boy, they've left him out to dry a lot, and he's really yeah. shown up as their backup goalie. Um, but anything to be concerned about? I mean, it's five games in. I know it's too early for that. But all season they've talked about getting better on the back end making the smart play, not taking the dumb penalties. And you still see that creeping in their game some. You do. And I, yeah, there's a party that wants to say, boy, it's five games. Like, well, let's not get bent out of shape over five games, two of which they won. And one, they looked really good against, you know, mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs, um, which is a team that you're going to have to battle if you're going to win this thing. But you know, I do get it, too, that they've looked inconsistent time. You know what, Steve, I'm telling you, man, I just – I get this sense, and I haven't been around him, so I don't know. I haven't talked to John Cooper. I, I, you know, being away from it, I'm just looking from afar now. Is I think the reality has set in that man, this is going to be a long season, and we, we're just trying to get back to where we were a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm telling you, meant. I think it's all mental. It's not like they don't know where to go. It's not like they don't know what to do. I think it's, it's almost like they're in the dog days already. You know, because they realize, and I think it's gonna it's gonna take a, a little time here to sort of get in gear. Because there's also this sense of, well, you know, we're not gonna win 62 games because if we do, who cares anyway? You know, I mm-hmm. I really do think there's this this idea of not fatigue, but it's almost like they they realize they're they have they're climbing Mount Everest and they're they're not they just left base camp. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, man. This is a long way to go. And, I, you know, there were times, you and I talked about this, Steve. I think there were times last year they were bored. You know, I think they got bored. And I'm not sure that they're, they're not a little bit bored right now. Um, now, they better not mess around. There's some good teams out there. You know, you especially look at this division. I mean, well, there's, some good, there's some good teams here. And some things to remember, too, about this is, you know, they struggled the first few games last season, too. I mean, they won several they of them, but they didn't play very well. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we talked about several times in the podcast. Every time they came off a break, whether it was the bye week, uh, whether it was you know, they had four or five days, there was a couple times they had like four days off in a row, which was weird. Um, the Christmas break, 
things right. like in the start of the season, they struggled early. And a high-skilled team sometimes can. Your passes aren't as crisp and all, you know. Everything that goes with the finesse game that they play sometimes can be off until you get in that rhythm. But the other right. part is, is they've played five games, but four of them have been on the road. I mean, they've had one home game. They're traveling right. right now. And, you know, what, four of their first 12 games or 13 whatever games are at home. One of them's considered a home game in, in Sweden, but right. it's really not. I mean, you look at the travel part of this, too, and, and, and their defensive pairings. I mean, they've lost, you know, Girardi and Strawman are not back there. That's a big change on your back end. You know, they're still trying to figure out who's playing with Hedman. Right. Which is important to figure out who's going to be best for that. I mean, now it looks like you know Eric Chernak's been practicing with Hedman, that they may break up McDonough and Chernak possibly to, yeah, to yeah. see how it goes. And I, look, I think this is the time you do that. Let's see what works, what doesn't. We've got to figure out what's the best three defensive pairings, not just one. Um, so you know, I, I think some of this is just fi- you know figuring some things out. I think you know your fourth line looks completely different right now. Of course, Cedric Paquette's mm-hmm. still hurt. He's practicing right. now in a red non-contact jersey, but. You know, you're adding Pat Maroon back there and Luke Wachowski. And, you know, so that, that line's very different. And really, your lines are different. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, Braden Point's now centering between Stamkos and, and Kucherov. And Sorelli's kind of moved up to that number two center. Tyler Johnson's now your third center. He played wing all last year. So they're also trying a lot of different things right now, which is, you know, what they need to be doing and figuring out what works. So, you know, I don't think it's time to panic or anything. But no. you just like to see more consistent you know, in Carolina, when they had two shots over two periods plus an overtime, right? And they went over twenty-five minutes without a shot on goal. I mean, the Lightning have too much talent to to let that happen. Agreed. You know, agreed. And that's it's the consistency part. I mean, you're going to get beat. There are times, you know, the other team makes great plays or the goalie stands on their head. That happens. The consistent effort and that's what you really that's what you want to see throughout a season. Is you know, you're going to have some some bad games here and there. But overall, you want to see that consistency. And through five games, it just doesn't feel very consistent yet. It doesn't feel very consistent. I'm telling you, it's going to take a while. That Those four games um, against Columbus in the playoffs last year, I think really messed with, with everybody's heads. You know, it just really – it wasn't supposed to happen. How are they going to react to it? And I think it, the first sign of a little bit of trouble – and, again, this is not trouble, but the first sign of them not looking like the team that won 62 games last year – all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, what's wrong? You know, I, I think there's a, there's a little tendency to, to panic early because of what happened at the end of last season. If this team had won a cup last year or went deep in the playoffs again, I don't think we'd be talking about this. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's really hard to forget what happened at the end of last year. And I think it's going to continue to be hard and it's going to continue to be an issue until April 10th or 12th or 15th of next year whenever the playoffs start and they actually win a game and maybe win a series before – that whole thing is put to rest. It really, I think, is messing with everybody's heads. And we'll end on this. Uh, the Florida Gators uh, went into LSU Death Valley, uh, lost in a shootout, which I'm sure you expected, uh, <laughs> given how good both defenses generally are considered. Uh, what, 42-28, to 28, I think, was the game. But, you know, overall, I thought Florida played pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, you expect – I mean, look, LSU's the real deal this year. They finally have an they offense. Are. I mean, they've been yeah. good for many years. They finally have an offense and a quarterback. Um, they haven't had that in years there. Uh, but Florida gets some help, too, as South Carolina knocks off Georgia. Right. So the SEC East is still wide open. The SEC East is wide open. I still think the SEC the, – boy, the Georgia loss surprised me. I did not see that coming. I, South Carolina, I don't think South Carolina is that great. And apparently, you know, to lose that game at home, Georgia and, and – um, 
and the score only what they, what they end up with fourteen points in regulation or seventeen. Yeah, it was, it was what twenty to seventeen, I think, in overtime was the final. Right. Uh, I didn't so. see that coming at all. Florida with that defense, they they're good enough to win the East. But really, the, when we're talking about the SEC, we're talking about two teams, right? We're talking. I mean, the winner of the Alabama LSU game is, I think, that will will go on to be one of the teams in the national championship semifinals, and the loser might be the a second team. That, that goes into it. Well, but um, Auburn may still have a say in that SEC sure, West. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, they lost at Florida, which is not a bad loss. No, not at all. And, you know, and, and it's weird who, what's, what's going to end up happening with Notre Dame. I mean, there are some polls that have, like, Notre Dame's ahead of Georgia right now, right? In the poll, which I don't understand how that happened. Uh, yeah, Since, I, I seeing I, how Georgia well, beat Notre they're Dame. They're going to say they, Notre Dame lost to Georgia. Georgia lost to South Carolina. Yeah, so, so yeah, it was Georgia. And, and Georgia lost loss. at home. Notre Dame was on the road. On the road, yeah, and Georgia, had, Georgia. yeah, I mean, Georgia's you know, losses. That's not a bad loss at all. But I'm, you know, I'm looking around. It's funny, like there are a lot of, you know, Alabama looks not that they look shaky, but Alabama's, you know, no. defense. I don't think they're Clemson the does defense. not look like the team. They Clemson's think. not. I mean, they killed Florida State, but yeah. everybody kills Florida State. I think Ohio State's um, really good. I think Ohio State's really good, but um, uh, your boys, Michigan. I don't. No, I don't know what happened to them. Um, uh, that offense doesn't looks... look any different than last year, and it's supposed to be completely <laughs> different. It doesn't look any different. Oklahoma looks like looks like they could be the real deal. Um, Still not sold on their defense yet, but yeah, same. same was, right. They were supposed to be. I, I thought they'd be better than they were defensively this year so far. Jalen Hurts has impressed me, and and you know what Lincoln Riley does with that offense and those quarterbacks is just impressive. But but I think there I think there are. Um, you know, it may, it may, we may turn out to be the same teams that we thought was going to be all along anyway, which is, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. But at the same time, it, no one has looked dominant. Usually you find a team that's like, okay, that team is clearly the best team. I don't know who the best team is. Maybe Ohio State. Ohio State's the only one that's looked dominant every week, but I don't know right. if they've played good enough competition to call, call them that yet. Right. And, I mean, Wisconsin's looked really good at times. I, same thing, though. I don't know who they've played that's – I mean, they played Michigan. They beat Michigan pretty bad. They, they beat but. USF. I mean, that's got to count for something. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, a Penn State. You know, I, I follow Penn State pretty closely. I think they have a really good defense. I'm not sold on their offense. Um, and I think they'll they, – I don't think they're at the level that Ohio State is. Um, well, so, we'll find – I mean, they'll have to play Ohio State coming up. Penn State's well, got Michigan will. this week, and then they play Ohio State, I think, in a couple weeks. Right. Yeah, their schedule starts to get they, – they, they won a nice game at Iowa mm-hmm. the other night. Um, but yeah, Florida, I mean, so, so I guess the overall point I'm making is that, uh, I don't necessarily think this loss kills Florida. They're no, still, it, I, they're still in the mix because I think that there are a lot of teams out there. I, I'm not looking at this and saying, well, Clemson has no chance to lose. They might, uh, they don't play anybody left, but that's um, the thing is they don't play anybody. I mean, but Alabama's you know. schedule gets LSU still got a ton of tough games yeah. coming up. I mean, there's still a chance for Florida if they can run the table here. And I don't know if they'll be able to do that, but I mean that Georgia game will be that'll pretty that'll pretty be, much be it for the for the SEC East, you would think. Um, but they're they're not they're not done because I don't see everybody else. I don't see four clear cut teams that are just going to run away with it. Yeah, but how big is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party now? I mean, oh, you, you know, Florida loses at LSU, and you you kind of expected that could happen. I mean, you know, when you sure. looked at the schedule and where, how good LSU is, I mean, Florida had a shot to win, and they played they played fairly well there, but. You kind of thought that would. You never thought Georgia would lose to South Carolina. No. And so all of a sudden no. now, I mean, you beat Georgia, and you essentially have a two-game lead over them in the SEC East, even after you lost to LSU, which is what you know, based on tiebreakers. So that's, I mean, Florida. 
and, and is, yeah, you want to get to the national title game if you're Florida, and I think they have a shot at it. But more, most importantly is you want to get to the SEC title game again. You want to knock Georgia Here, off that, and you've got a shot here, still. Here's the thing. I mean, there were moments when Will Muschamp was at Florida, and there were moments when Jim McElwain mm-hmm. was at Florida where it was smoke and mirrors. Like, they had the record, but they, re- they really weren't that good a team. It was, like I said, it was smoke and mirrors. They would, they would lose one or two games, and, you, and they were they – were, they were, in the running for the SEC East, um, I think even one of the years they went to the SEC championship game, but you never really got a sense that they were they had they had that they were arrived, that they were back, that they were back to the time that they were under Urban Meyer. And I'm not saying they're quite there, that they're a uh, that a legitimate national championship contender, but I think they're back to being a legitimate top twelve team in the country, something like that. I I. I don't think this is smoke and mirrors. I think they are on their, on their way back to being a really good, consistent program. And they're doing this without – really, with, I'm not even sold on their quarterback. Even when before uh, Franks got hurt, I wasn't sold on their quarterback. Well, so that's the thing they, is is they finally are getting better quarterback play. I don't think they have the answer long-term at quarterback. But they're getting better quarterback play, and I think that's a combination of, you know, Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask, but I also think it's Dan Mullen. And the way yeah. he's coaching them, calling plays, setting them up for success too—that you know, coaching means a lot in college. It means, and an that's awful what I'm saying. Like, I I get the sense that they got the right guy in Dan Mullen. They still have a way to go to sort of get from that that level. Of, yeah, I, I was watching this that 24/7 program on HBO, which is really good. And James Franklin was talking that there are a lot of teams who can be in that 15 to 25 range. You know, like there are just a, a lot of teams who are who are good programs. It takes something special to go to that next level. I think Florida's gotten back to that next level. Now it's gonna. It, then it takes even more to get to that upper echelon where you're talking about the consistently the Alabamas and Clemsons and Ohio States and Oklahomas and people like that. But I, I do think Florida went from being sort of that 15 to 25 team under McIlwain and and Muschamp to to now there. I think they they could be that program again that gets back into the into the top 12 and, and have years where if a few things go their way, maybe this year will be one of those years that they can beat Georgia. They can find themselves back in the SEC championship game, having a chance against Alabama. All right. We'll be talking more college football with Matt Baker, who will be joining us Thursday on the podcast as uh, he'll break down everything college football, not only Florida and the SEC, but Florida state, USF, uh, UCF, Miami, you name it. Uh, Matt's of course all over it. So Tom, thank you very much for joining us as uh, Rick takes this extended vacation, free trip to <laughs> Europe. Uh, no, actually he's, his family's with them. And uh, I think they're enjoying some of the sights in that. I believe he'll be back uh, for Friday's show. Uh, this He'll week, be so. back in time for Jameis's next interception. I'm sure. Right? Well, that that's not that's not for a week from this weekend. So well, then he'll we got the bye week. Back. So I don't know. I don't Jameis, know. Jameis, Jameis, Jameis got to throw two interceptions during the bye week. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, I think that would give him the most interceptions he's ever had through you know a bye week <laughs> ever. Um, I believe he's a lot more than I think he's more interceptions he's ever thrown through eight weeks at so far through six weeks of the season. So Boy, just when you think it stat, couldn't but. get any worse, it, it somehow does. <laughs> It does. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks, Steve. Good talking to you. Thanks to Tom Jones for coming on today, filling in for Rick Stroud, who will be back later this week. Tomorrow we'll have Mark Topkin on the podcast. 
We'll kind of talk about the Rays 2019 season, what went right, what went wrong, and then looking ahead to 2020, who may be back, who may be changed out, what are maybe some potential free, free agent acquisitions. So we'll look at that with Mark Topkin. On Thursday, we'll have Matt Baker on the podcast. We'll recap Florida LSU, of course, and look ahead to this week's games uh, for Florida, for FSU, USF, etc. So a uh, busy week ahead, and then Rick should be back by the end of the week. So for Rick Stroud, I'm producer Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. 